No, hang on now. I've just, I've just got the way to get Hunter. Now that we've more completely humanised M&Ms, his treatment of them can be characterised as sexual harassment <laughs> and he can be put in prison. Hunter Biden is apparently the smartest person that Joe Biden knows. Okay, um, hang on. Uh, sorry. Oh. These fudge brownie M&Ms are really fudgy. Yes. Yes, they are. Welcome to the Six O'Clock Swill. Incisive commentary crafted in Australia on all the things that matter with Tim Blair on the Central Coast, Fred Paul in Sydney and me, Nick Cater, podcasting today from Lismore in northern New South Wales. We get to more about Hunter Biden and his strange behaviour around sugar-coated candy later on when we're joined by Miranda Devine, Fox News contributor, columnist with the Daily Telegraph, the New York Post, and author of an extraordinary new book, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Closer to home, we'll explore why Swimming Australia is getting coy about body parts and Western Australia seals its borders more tightly to keep out the dreaded Omicron. But first, since US politics is so much more gripping than our own right now, let's start with Joe Biden, who gave a two-hour press conference this week when he silenced his critics by putting most of them to sleep. Tim. Yes, and um, he produced a few extra worrying aspects of his presidency, mainly that he doesn't aware, he's not aware that he is the president. Uh, somebody should tell him, don't you think? I mean, should somebody tell him that, that big house that he's sitting in is the White House? What's the point when every 36 hours he gets a complete memory swap? You know, it just goes. So um, he has a wash, a brain wash every 36 or so hours, and it's all starting from scratch. But you know, he, he invited Russia to invade Ukraine. That was nice. I didn't know. I don't think anyone expected that. And um, well, I think President G might. Have. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but it was only like he's only going to approve a minor incursion. Mm. Yeah. But yes. then you get down to definitions, don't you? You know, how many lives are we talking? Anyway, at one point, Nick, he was asked, Nick and Fred. At one point, he was asked a question. It was something to do with Republicans gaining a, an electoral advantage or something. But it doesn't really matter what the question is. Because Biden's answer, which went for a full two minutes, A, didn't address that, B, didn't address anything of any concrete substance, and C, ended up answering a series of other questions. Now, I think we've got like a 30-second grab of this, Nick. Is that right? Yeah, I, I thought the full two minutes might be a bit much. And look, we, we like to keep this show fairly fast-paced. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> do that with Joe Biden, yeah. We've set ourselves up. The bar's set pretty high there, Nick. But um, yeah, and also I think I think uh, if we ran the full two minutes, we'd probably be charged with elder abuse. <laughs> I've got a clip of some paint drying that we could run later, just just to get the lift up the pace again. You know? Let's have a listen to Joe Biden. Look, maybe I'm kidding myself, but as time goes on, the voter who is just trying to figure out, as I said, how to take care of their family, put three squares on the table, stay safe, be able to pay their mortgage or their rent, et cetera, uh, has, is becoming much more informed on the um, the 
the motives of um, some of the political players and some of the uh, and the political parties. <laughs> Look, I- <laughs> but like this is what I love as well. Like he's talking about, you know, as far as we can work out, he was talking about people as time goes on that people are becoming more aware of the motives of uh, various political parties and political players. Now, you'd be careful about saying something like that when your own polling is at record lows. Is he, is he basically saying that they've worked him out? Yeah, well, that's right. And what's going on is his brain sort of freezes, doesn't it? It's like being on one of those Zoom calls with somebody... On a, with a very bad internet collection and the screen keeps freezing you know? and you're like, come on, come on but that was live that was live on national television international television but it was also a bit of a glimpse inside what's, what remains of the mind of yeah. Joe Biden so, you know, he's, he's, he's sitting there trying to put two thoughts together and whenever something pops into his head it, it appears, it, it comes out of his mouth as a word. So he's, he's saying, you know, we're trying to figure out, you know, the, the, the average voter is trying to figure out, obviously, like Biden is trying to figure out what the hell's going on, wants to feel safe. Well, so does Biden because he knows he's in trouble. And he wants to know what the motive, motives are of other political parties. I mean, these, these are the things that preoccupy him. Meanwhile, supermarket shelves are empty. Russia's going to war. North Korea's testing uh, nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. None of that bothers him, really, because... Oh, the other thing about Joe Biden is that, you know, the, the wonderful thing about Joe Biden is, you know, in his state of mind, every day he comes up with new policies. It doesn't matter if they're, um, <laughs> if they're the same as yesterday or they change because, uh, you know, it's a bit like that old gag about dementia. You know, you meet new people every day. Yeah, he's um he's also got the long like you're talking about short term issues with Joe, but he's got massive long term issues as well. Like he's forgotten his historic support for various segregationists and uh, and Klansmen. You know, he was all the way there with uh, people like Wallace and so on, and various Klan figures who were uh, elected Democrats. And now he's raving about being on the wrong side of history. If you have anything to do with those types of people, well, that was him. That was Joe Biden. And as Miranda will will point out later, the that laptop from hell is is simply an investigation into white privilege. You know, while while Biden has has lately built his political career mm. on being yeah. uh, woke and concerned about minorities, his kids and his entire family have enjoyed enormous benefits from being uh, you know white and members of the uh, ruling elite. The white establishment from Delaware, yeah, that's right. And, and Miranda's book goes through that very well. Looking forward to talking to her. Are you, you're hinting perhaps that there's a touch of um, cognitive decline going on there. Hinting? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I visited a, an aged care home which specialised in dementia patients and it was a wonderfully fitted out place. They even had... So you reckon you've decided which one now, Nick? Yeah, I have. It, it, it even wait for it. It had its own golf course, only one hole. <laughs> just keep... <laughs> That's all we need, you know. We, we can tell them they're on the ninth or the tenth. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> but look, um, yeah. What more can we say about about this man except that it, it is worrying, isn't it? It's very, very worrying because we all have a stake, obviously, in world security. The whole liberal world order that's been in place since World War Two is there 
thanks to the fact that America is willing to step in and keep the peace and have a go at it, not always particularly well, but it's always there. How would this speech or this press conference be received in Beijing or Moscow? Uh-huh. Well, yeah, as I said a couple of weeks ago on, on, on this podcast, and I, you know, it wasn't rocket science, but I, I kind of, uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased with it that it's turned out to be rather prescient. And that is that Putin's um, aggression in Ukraine, if he gets away with it, and it looks like he will, because there are only, there are only mm. two possible outcomes, Russia will invade or uh, Ukraine will be prevented mm. from joining NATO. Yeah. Either way, Putin wins. And Xi Jinping is watching this and going, well, you know, that's yeah. a proxy for it's Taiwan. Te- careful what you're saying, because Xi Jinping is a, a listener to this podcast too. We don't want to give him <laughs> further yeah. encouragement. But- and a sponsor, but just keep that quiet. <laughs> 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 but Tim, Tim, you were saying earlier, I mean, look, normal, you expect polls on, and we have got polls indeed on, on the approval rating of a president, and we know that's pretty low, 33% in one poll, which is a, you know, how low can Joe go? I mean, will he get into the 20s? But the other poll, which they're now regularly running, is are you concerned about the president? What's the wording of this? Are you concerned about the president's mental health or the state of state? mind or, you know, whatever? State of mind. I mean, you, well, you, can you imagine asking that question about a reasonably competent world leader? You're concerned about their state of mind. And what are they up to now? Quite high, I think. So it's around about 50%. Like half of voting Americans are like, yeah, yeah this guy's out to lunch. <laughs> wow. Uh, and uh, it, this is, I keep coming back to this bizarre way that the Democrats have behaved since since they won the election in 2020. When I say won, you know. But uh, <laughs> they've um, they've government as though there's no subsequent election as though they're going to be in power forever and it didn't matter what what they did how stupid it was or whatever and of course Mm. we've got midterms coming up in a few months and Mm. they're they're going to get smashed all indications anyway other they're going to get absolutely hammered we've already seen places like virginia we've already seen which way this situation is trending did they not calculate this did they forget that there are elections (laughs) <laughs> and what happens in 2024? 2024, you know, they're now saying that polling is showing that if Donald Trump was to run again in 2024, yep. he'd, he'd cream it. Or DeSantis, yeah. Yeah, and now, and now now talk that the a likely Democrat starter will be Hillary Clinton. I mean, can you bear it? 2024, Clinton versus Trump all over again. Have we? What have we done to deserve this? <laughs> Hillary, please. I reckon the Democrats actually calculated or relied a lot on this Jan 6 commission coming up with uh, some solid proof Mm. that it was some sort of insurgency because as I I heard the other day uh, the I think it's the 14th amendment to the constitution Mm. if you've been involved in an insurgency you can't run for the can't run for the presidency yeah but the the situation though is Fred that the republicans have a hell of a lot of depth they do They've got they've yeah. got a lot of potential candidates. DeSantis, I'd put at the top, mm-hmm. and then you look at the um, the opposing lineup for the Dems. Hillary's up there, Kamala Harris, yeah. Biden himself. Yeah. Seriously, you know, yeah. you could put and that dude from Texas who who wants to take away the guns. What's his name again? What Beto O'Rourke? Oh, Beto. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. He, he'll keep trying, mate. He that guy will keep trying, and one day he will actually win an election. I think he will. <laughs> It's fun driving around places like Austin, you know, the left-leaning sort of cities in Texas. 
And yet, if you go to the wealthy neighbourhoods, that's when you start seeing the Beto O'Rourke signs. Right. He's a, yeah. he's a perfect little uh, modern lefty, that boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, look, um, we're going to be talking a lot about Joe Biden and his son Hunter with Miranda shortly. So perhaps we ought to... We are, after all, this is an Australian podcast. We have to keep reminding ourselves. That's why we're locked out of Western Australia. Western Australia, <laughs> what the heck is going on? The, the Premier of Western Australia, Mark McGowan, has doubled down. He's put back the date at which they're tentatively going to open their borders even further to keep out the dreaded Omicron. Do they really expect to be the only jurisdiction in the entire world not to have Omicron run wild at some point or another? Isn't it it just a case of delaying the inevitable? Well, they've so far had one death. A tragedy. Every death's a tragedy. This is true, of course. Yeah, we've got. That's always you've got to always add that to every every story about COVID deaths. Mm -hmm. Actually, be one of the easier jobs in the world, wouldn't it be? Western Australian contact tracer. What do you do for the other seven hours of a day? <laughs> anyway, they they previously announced that February five, you know, the walls were going to come down and um, and uh, the two Berlins would be reunited. And now they've pushed that back indefinitely because, as uh, Premier McGowan said, we don't know enough about the Omicron and we're not sufficiently protected. And uh, he's going to review the issue once booster shots are more widespread around the community, up to 80 or 90%. Now, that's going to take a while. It's, at the moment, it's at about 25%. So that's going to be a long time coming. But here's something... This is interesting. I was chatting with Fred about this earlier. Western Australians are backing the Premier on this. They like being isolated. They they delight in, uh, in their, their prisoner status. They don't want the COVID or any type of COVID, even the non-scary variants. They don't want any kind of COVID. They're quite happy to be isolated. Now, considering that, where is the incentive for them to get boosted? If they know that getting boosted will eventually bring down the walls, why would they get boosted? Let's look at that number just stall out in coming weeks. Exactly. It'll just hit the pause on it. I think you've nailed it, Tim. Absolutely nailed it. Either way, McGowan wins. Yeah. If, if he convinces the population to get boosted, then he will be the guy who brings down the border wall. Mm-hmm. And if West Australians decide, actually, no, we like it in the Hermit Kingdom, yep. then he remains king of Westralia. Yep. This reminded me, after our chat, Tim, this reminded me of one of the great election slogans that John Howard, I think, almost accidentally came up with during an interview back in about 96, mm. if I'm not mistaken. And he was asked in an interview, what do you think Australians want from this election? And he said he he thinks they want to be comfortable and relaxed. Yeah. And the left media went completely ballistic yes. over the idea that a government or a politician would want his or her constituents to feel comfortable and relaxed about life. And now we see what the left was really talking about back then, because there is this thing now about modern politics where they don't want you, they clearly don't want you to be comfortable and relaxed. They want you to be uncomfortable and afraid. Yes. And nobody in Australia is better at doing that than Mark McGowan. Some extent I get his, his dilemma, you know, West Australia being one of three, no, four states in Australia where they, 
managed to pretty much keep COVID at bay for, you know, almost two years, two years in the case of Western Australia. But then now one by one, they've had to open up. There's thousands of new cases and deaths in South Australia, which was COVID free. I was in Queensland. I, I, I did the run across the Queensland border for 12 hours on Thursday because I had to go to a 100th birthday party. But there's a very strange <laughs> atmosphere there, particularly in mm. you know the nursing home where my dear cousin Pearl, let's give her a shout out, uh, was celebrating her 100th birthday. And, and when I, I, I immediately went over and, and gave her an enormous great hug to which the... That's always good to do to a 100-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> to which the nurses... She, she said to me, she said, I, well, how do you feel being 100? She said, oh, it just proves only the good die young. Oh, good honour. God bless. But the, the, because the nursing staff were horrified that an outsider was hugging this 100-year-old and an, an outsider had come from New South Wales. Uh-oh. This was quite yeah. troubling to them and they moved in immediately to separate us. You were wearing your hazmat suit, I assume. <laughs> I saw a funny meme during the week of a woman saying to a friend, my auntie turned 100 yesterday and she got a telegram from the Queen and this other woman replies, my niece turned 16 yesterday and she got a call from Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, the, the, the telegram had not arrived from the Queen even though it had been requested, but I said to Pearl, I said, well, she's been fairly busy. Yeah. She's got that awful son of hers she's having to deal with yeah. for a, a bit longer. But uh, I will give a shout-out, too, to the nursing home, Ballycara Nursing Home in Scarborough in Queensland. Why? Because I've only ever been to two 100th birthdays, both of them at the Ballycara Nursing Home. Oh, wow. For Pearl's mother, Millie, and now, and now Pearl. And I think, well, it must be a damn good nursing home if everybody gets to 100. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, that's a great record. Good, good on them. Well, let's look forward to what, 2050 and we'll be broadcasting Six Slots Wheel live from the Ballycara Nursing Home, the three of us sitting there. It's the, it's the Don Bradman of nursing homes. <laughs> yeah, they're averaging 99.9. <laughs> anyway, let's take a break and we'll be back in a moment with Miranda Devine. And now we welcome to the podcast Miranda Devine, the author of an extraordinary new book, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. It's an account of a debauched and disreputable man who made millions trading influence in China and Russia on behalf of his father and spent much of that money living a life of drug addiction and sexual depravity. And, and since that man is Hunter Biden, whose father is now President of the United States, the implications are more than disturbing. Miranda joins us today from New York, and it's great to be talking to you again, Miranda. Great to see you, Nick and Tim, as well. It's wonderful to be back in Australia in a little way, anyway. Equally as disturbing is the story behind the book, how you came to obtain the contents of the laptop three weeks before presidential election day in 2020, and how the story was broken by the New York Post and then suppressed, censored, and discredited. Look, Two years ago, even just two years ago, I would have thought that outline of the book I've just read and the account of what happened when you tried to break the story would have been, was the product of a fevered imagination with deeply unhealthy conspiratorial tendencies. But I've known you for the best part of 30 years. You're scrupulous, you're professional, you're anchored and trustworthy, which brings me to the uncomfortable conclusion that 
it's all probably true, is it? <laughs> Look, that's it in a nutshell. And, I mean, it's just uh, the book I've written straight. There's no opinion. It's just straight reporting. Uh, the New York Post, we've had the laptop since last uh, October, um, three weeks before the election, or that's when we published. And we have uh, verified all the material on it that we've used, um, whether it be through um, interviewing people who were the other recipients of the emails that we published, uh, particularly that first day, um, these emails that went, say, from a Ukrainian benefactor of the Bidens to Hunter Biden, but also to some of his business partners. And when Facebook and Twitter decided to censor the New York Post the day we first started publishing from the laptop, um, Facebook said that they were uh, censoring the story pending fact-checking. And as far as I know, they never did any fact-checking because they have never contacted the people that I'm in contact with who were recipients of those emails. And that is the first port of call when you're fact-checking. You know, we sent reporters down to Delaware, uh, talked to the MacBook repair shop owner who Hunter Biden abandoned his laptop to, Uh, back in April of 2019, just a few days before his father uh, announced his candidacy for president. So uh, we've we've looked at it every which way. And the book is not just the laptop. That's only one part of the puzzle. It's also um, the material that Tony Bobolinsky gave me, who was one of Hunter Biden's business partners, and an American patriot, a hero, a former naval uh, officer, nuclear submarine uh, expert, Um, and he uh, basically handed over the contents of all his devices to the FBI, Um, and a lot of his material overlaps with what's on the laptop and it also buttresses it. And then there's another piece of the puzzle, which is a very good investigation uh, by two Republican senators, Chuck Grasley and Ron Johnson. And they had access to these things called suspicious activity reports that the Treasury Department um, uh, collects from banks when suspect money comes into American bank accounts from places like Russia or, you know, from sanctioned individuals. And a lot of that money was coming into Biden accounts and their associate accounts and uh, from Russia and China and Kazakhstan and so on. So um, that is another overlay that um, it, it, it basically accords with a lot of the documents and a lot of the invoices that are on the laptop, um, but there's also extra material that I didn't have. And there's one other small piece of the jigsaw puzzle, which is something that an investigative reporter called Peter Schweitzer um, and his partner Matthew Tymond um, had, which was another all the contents of the devices of um, a guy called Bevan Cooney, who is another one of Hunter's former business partners, now in jail, like a lot of Hunter's partners ended up in jail. So again, um, this is material that is just every which way backed up and... You know, we've been publishing from this in the New York Post for over a year and there's been no dispute from the White House that any of it um, is, is, is true. And in fact, um, during the election campaign, when we published our first story, my colleague Emma Jo Morris published a great story. Uh, it was an email from this Ukrainian uh, executive from a corrupt energy company called Burisma uh, saying, thank you, Hunter, for introducing me to your father in Washington last night. The big guy, 
the big guy, 10% for the big guy. (laughs) And Joe denied it and his campaign denied it. And yet in July this year or June this year in the summer, um, I uh, had found more from the laptop and published a story showing that that meeting was actually not just of Joe with the Ukrainian, but also with uh, Russians and also Kazakhstanis. And it was in a private room in Cafe Milano, which is a well-known Italian restaurant in Georgetown. And that was when Joe was vice president. And so with with that sort of overwhelming material, with the photograph and so on, um, and all the emails from backwards and forwards and Hunter Biden's guest list, it was pretty hard for the White House to deny it, even though they ignored my emails, they did talk to the Washington Post, which was trying to fact check our story and say it was false. But lo and behold, they actually got the White House to say, oh yes, well, Joe did go to that dinner, but he only dropped in for a short time and he did nothing nefarious. There's no doubt your account is convincing the president is up to his neck in this. When he was vice president, it seems his son was president Advice. Let me let me give you. This. I just want to read a bit from the book, just to give listeners an idea of just what a a man we're talking about. Hunter Biden, within the sixth week of a crack cocaine bender at Chateau Marmont in May 2018, paying hookers and dealers to service him around the clock, he indulged its appetites in the style of Pan, the lecherous half man, half goat, chaser of nymphs symbol of lust from Greek mythology, whose image features on the hotel logo. And you, you go on, Miranda, about the, the, the crack cocaine, the, the vodka, the porn videos he was making. The hookers. Including the time he balanced a line of M&Ms on his erect penis and took a photograph of it. Look, it, it's, you must just have felt filthy researching this stuff, did you? It's just horrible. <laughs> well, I sort of got inured to it after a while. There's just so much porn on on. That, you know, I've seen Hunter Biden's penis so many times. Uh, it's actually quite a shock to see him in photographs with his clothes on. <laughs> the actual physical laptop. Yes. The laptop itself, the laptop from hell. Have you seen it and, God forbid, have you touched this actual device? No, I have the hard drive, which is uh, basically a clone of the laptop. Mm-hmm. The actual laptop... John Paul MacIsaac, who's the Delaware repair shop mm-hmm. owner, handed that to the FBI. That was waterlogged and damaged. Hope he was wearing gloves. Mm. <laughs> the FBI taking it seriously? That was in December 2019. Mm-hmm. Well, they did nothing with it. Yeah. So, so they they've had it since December. But there are two other laptops that we know that Hunter um, lost. Okay. Um, and one of them he left behind in um, at his psychiatrist's house in up in Newburyport in Massachusetts. That bloke's earning his money. <laughs> yes, I've seen a lot of his work. Um, and so he um, so so he he put the laptop into a safe and kept on asking Hunter to come down and pick it up. I'll come up and pick it up and or you know he'd send it down to him but um, Hunter never did. So that mm. laptop also ended up in the hands of the federal government because there was a DEA Drug Enforcement Administration raid on a pharmacy in the neighborhood and, and which also um, caught the psychiatrist even though he'd done nothing wrong. And so he handed over that laptop to them which I'm told they then gave back to the Bidens. Um, and then there's a third laptop. Okay. So that was in federal government hands for some time. And then there was a third laptop, mm-hmm. which Hunter talks about in a video on the one I have, um, which uh, he, he's doing a video that he always 
videotaped himself having sex with prostitutes. And so this is a post-coital conversation with this particular prostitute. And he talks mm. about being strung out in LA. He was um, with a whole lot of Russian drug dealers and he woke up face down in a lap pool in this luxury um, hotel that had a, 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 the room had its own little lap pool. And, um, and he came to and they must have thought he was dead because they were just rifling through his belongings and stole his laptop and he he tells her about this and and she says well don't worry you know that was a year ago or whatever and he says no you don't understand um my father is about to run for president and i I, they also know that i've got a gazillion dollars this is the man that joe biden calls the most intelligent person he knows he needs to get out more often yeah so that he was close very close to his son well, he still is. I mean, Hunter is is actually now Joe's number one advisor. It it shows, Miranda. <laughs> but but you know, I think Hunter is quite an intelligent person, and I've been told by um, people close to him who know him well that Hunter gets everything he wants. Don't underestimate Hunter. I was told at the beginning of this process, mm. um, and I said, "What do you mean?" Because it didn't seem to ring true. Mm. And they said, "Well, think about it. Hunter always wanted to be an artist or a writer, and his father kind of forced him to go into these, do these grace and favor jobs for inflated salaries to mm. to fund the rest of the family and and become the bag man for the Bidens. And so now he he's published a, a book. He's a published author, yeah, and um, he's he's a painter." He's selling stuff for half a million bucks, yeah. Yeah, he's a renowned painter. <laughs> and he also, he's very ambitious, and he's in the White House at his the president's right-hand man, basically. And when Joe goes to Delaware, on he, he spent 28% of his uh, time uh, since he's been president in Delaware in one of his two mansions. Um, mm. No doubt Hunter is there. Um, and Hunter is in the White House so much that um, they've now built a little play set, a swing set for Hunter's two-year-old son. One of the the amazing things about this entire story, and and all of it is amazing, is how nakedly, well, everything's naked apparently. So to speak. How nakedly the press, the pro-Biden press are exposed. And this entire news cycle is uh, involving the, the laptop from hell. The entire news cycle absolutely reveals this partisanship. So we went very quickly from uh, the big tech titans banning your story, uh, banning the New York Post's coverage of Hunter Biden's uh, uh, various atrocities, to Joe Biden just declaring it was Russian disinformation, or Joe Biden just basically is writing the whole thing off, and then after the election was safely out of the way, Joe Biden just laughs off issues. Like, he's been asked a few times. People have yelled out, are you sticking with the um, with the uh, Russian disinformation stuff, Joe? And he just goes, <laughs> whatever, you know, in as much as his brain can allow a coherent response. And since then, every everyone's kind of just accepted, oh, yeah, yeah, the laptop's legit. It's all, it's all good. It's all true. And it's as though... It didn't really matter to these people. It was a pivotal event in US political history. And they're trying to just to just to just shove it aside. It's astonishing, Miranda, which is why your book um, is important as a lasting historical document. 
that uh, exposes not just the criminality and disgraceful ways of the Biden clan, but also exposes the Democrat protecting US media. Yeah, well, look, that's really why I wrote it, because I felt that it takes a long time to lay it out forensically. I mean, the the laptop's a mess, so it takes a long time to dig into it. And then to actually explain why this is important. I mean, Mm. the, the, the... Heights to which Hunter Biden and Jim Biden, his mm. his sort of guardian, uh, Joe's younger brother, mm. um, the heights they got to in the inner sanctum of both Vladimir Putin and President Xi um, are, are just uncanny. You know, they were Hunter was one one day. I've got a scene in there where he's in Washington D.C. having lunch at the State Department, hosted by his father with. Uh, Xi, who I think was then vice premier of China, Um, and then he gets on a plane and flies to Moscow and has breakfast at the home of one of Vladimir Putin's closest oligarchs. You know, these guys were floating around in these very inner echelons of these two, uh, I guess, adversaries of the United States. Mm. And um, at one point... They're, they're involved in intimately in a deal between Putin and Xi, which would have just shaken up, uh, you know, geopolit- well, energy geopolitics in the mm. world if it hadn't been for the fact that uh, Donald Trump arrived and disrupted it all and suddenly Hunter's partners, Chinese partners, were being locked up. But I think the reason, after the election even, uh, as you say, it's sort of accepted that the laptop is legit, um, but, and, and we've seen from the way that Hunter Biden is now hawking these finger paintings for half a million dollars. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. What masterworks they are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're shameless. You know, the Bidens have always been shameless and they've always gotten away with it. But I think the reason that you're not finding the sort of uh, prestige so-called media like the New York Times and the Washington Post um, pursuing this is because to do so and to um, actually discover that it's true and and tell their readers it's true shames them because they, uh, you know, they followed the lead of Facebook and Twitter immediately within hours of our story being published online uh, in censoring it. They ignored it. I remember there was some a little bit of to and fro between um, reporters on Twitter. Maggie Haberman from the New York Times actually put up a link to it and then was castigated by all and sundry for being so outrageous. Um, and so they ignored it. And then a few days after the story was censored, you had um, John Brennan, uh, who you would all know, um, yep. the very dubious former CIA head who was um, right in the centre of the Russia collusion hoax. So John Brennan ginned up this bogus letter from 50 very high-ranking former intelligence and defence people, people like Leon Panetta and Michael Hayden um, and James Clapper, his partner, John Brennan's partner in crime. They both lied to Congress. What a legend that bloke is. Yeah, yeah. Both, of course, hired by CNN and MSNBC as their experts. But anyway, so he ginned up this letter from these 50 eminent people. And in it, they said that in their expert opinion, the laptop and our reporting, therefore, 
was, uh, had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation and they never had looked at the laptop. They admit that later, lower down in the, in the letter. They didn't ask us. They could have asked us for a copy of the hard drive. We would have been quite happy to hand it over for them to, to have a look at because they would have found that it was legit. But no, they did this and they rushed it out because Joe Biden had a debate against Donald Trump coming up. And so he walked into that debate and, of course, Donald Trump brought it up. Donald Trump said, hey, laptop from hell, they're talking mm. about you as if you're corrupt, Joe. What do you say? And Joe said, that is Russian disinformation and I have a letter from 50... Uh, from No, sorry, he didn't even say that. He said, the intelligence community has decreed that this is Russian disinformation. So he, he spins it, but that's enough for the rest of the media. The media used that fig leaf to justify ignoring yep. it. They, they had cover, yeah. Exactly. And Hunter kept on using that. Well, it's the only cover he's got, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> so that your, book, your book's been out now for uh, a few months. November 30, yeah. November 30. Since then, what interest has the New York Times, say, shown in your book? I mean, it's, it's, it's selling very well. It was number one at one stage. But have they rung you and said, should we interview you or...? No, nothing. No, not a word. Just silence. Not not a word from Wall Street Journal, uh, none of them, you know, Washington Post, CNN. Nobody's interested. And, I mean, you know, there's been blanket coverage on Fox and in the Post, obviously, and uh, conservative mm. publications, um, but completely nothing from them, which, you know, is a pity because I think... Um, they would serve their readers better if they just allowed them to read this information and, you know, see if, see it for themselves if it's true or not. Um, and, you know, it's backed up. It's very hard to, to deny that it's true, so they can only ignore it. Um, mm. But the interesting thing is that um, a lot of the independent bookstores, which normally my publisher, it's a conservative imprint, um, says that, that normally the the independent bookstores, which are all lefty, um, ignore his books. But he said that there was such a, um, a groundswell of interest in it that the indie bookshops were ringing up and ordering. Really? And he, he, he was very surprised by that. Yeah, unfortunately, he ran out of books then. So, <laughs> so, so <laughs> maybe this week they'll get stopped. That sometimes isn't a bad thing, but um, I, I know a little bit about the, the independent lefty book culture in New York. So if uh, you get yes. interest from that, that, uh, from that group, I mean, they're, they're not just left. They're, they're pretty much way out there. But that's also why they should be interested because really mm. this is about the corruption that people like Bernie Sanders supposedly and AOC supposedly rail against. But it's right, it's in what, I mean, it's a, it's a Washington disease. And Joe yeah. Biden just happens to be the best practitioner at influence peddling. Uh, it, but I mean, Nancy Pelosi, there are Republicans as well who were become multimillionaires uh, yes. based on insider information on stock picks so well, but um, as, 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 as pelosi says though it's a free market you've got to be allowed yeah. to trade how oh how bad is that that woman? um the other aspect to this obviously is uh is that it's provided cover for someone who um the whole sort of scandal denial has provided cover for a president who actually provably and obviously had all the Russian collusion links that 
Donald Trump was accused of that they couldn't prove in Trump's case. Mm. That, it, it's fantastic. I mean, CNN must be looking at their ratings going through the floor every day going, oh, if only we had another Russian collusion scandal against <laughs> a sitting president. They got one. They got a real one this time. Real one. And they're not running with it because they just love, uh, love the party with the big capital D. Well, and it's because the Democrats project. It took me a little while, but not long, to figure out here that everything that they accuse their opponents of, they are doing. You know, Mm. systemic racism. I mean, Joe Biden is the one who carries on about racists under every bed and white supremacists and domestic terrorists, all this. He is the guy that was palling around with Dixiecrats when he first got into the Senate. He went to the funeral and gave the... Eulogy to Robert Byrd, who was like grand yeah. cyclops of the Ku Klux yeah. Klan. Like the guy is, he called Barack Obama, I mean, his, his entire career is a litany of racist sort of mm. tropes. But he said about Barack Obama, here's this black man comes along, he's nice and clean. Um, he, 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 said, he said to a, a, a black um, radio guy who was interviewing him during the campaign from his basement, he said he got angry with him because the guy wasn't just sucking up everything he said. And he said, mm. well, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. The guy is the the I, I don't know if you call it racism, but he's certainly got mm. that old school attitude, uh, paternalistic attitude to uh, American blacks, and um, and yet he's the one running around in a country that is, um, you know, everyone intermarries. Uh, you know, you know what America's like. It's a melting pot. Um, people, mm. it's a it, well, it was a meritocracy, and yeah. it didn't matter what the color of your skin was, or what sex you were, or anything. I mean, you got to the top if you worked hard and you had talent, and that's why yeah. America has been a magnet for migrants forever. And yet, um, Joe Biden and the Democrats in this current evil incarnation are mm. undoing all of that good work in America and have decided that they are going to traduce America's um, history and America's founding, even though this is a country that had a civil war to free the slaves, and that's as if yep. being washed away. So everything that Joe Biden says is projection of his own, you know, when he got when he went to Ukraine and was railing against their corruption there, mm. it, it, they must have just laughed and thought your son is getting paid $83,000 a month from the most Mm. corrupt energy company in our country, uh, which is run by Russians. um, Mm. And you're, you're lecturing us about corruption. They may be ignoring this story, but they can't ignore the deeply dispiriting sight of a man like Joe Biden supposedly running the country. How much damage is Biden's occupancy of the White House doing to the country and to the Democrat Party? Well, I think it's lethal for the Democrats because you just have to look at the... um, Well, there was a poll a few days ago showing that um, Americans' party affiliation has flipped 14 points from Democrat to Republican. That's historically extraordinary. I think it's now a 9% sort of uh, gap or something like that. 14, yeah. Yeah, in, in key states like Florida. Whoa! Randa, we've been hearing a lot about this let's go Brandon oh yeah meme that's really taken off have you come across this in in public 
Well, funny you should say that, but I went to see the hockey last night um, with the New York Rangers playing a, a Toronto team, and they won. And so the, this packed stadium of people, none of them wearing masks, were all exuberant. And as we were all leaving Madison Square Garden, walking down the fire stairwells, um, the, the refrain of F. Joe Biden rang out in the stairwell, F. Joe Biden, um, but with the full F word. And... Uh, and people were laughing hysterically and, you know, <laughs> this is New York. You know, he, he's so on the New nose. New York went, like, I think, 75 80% uh, Democrat in, uh, in the election. So, you know, that's, that's a strong Democrat town. I know there's pockets of civility and decency. Those that could be bothered voting, honestly. Uh, when, when the F. Joe Biden thing began, you know, and I think yeah. it began in the South at college football games, but... It very quickly spread to New York, and I think you had both New yes. York's baseball teams, who historically hate each other with the passion of brothers, but they were both <laughs> united in F. Joe Biden. I mean, he's really brought the country together. That's, that's true, actually. He did promise to be a unifier, and he has unified us, the entire country, against him. Well, Miranda, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on the book. You've done a, a forensic uh, meticulous Ooh. job going through it. I hope you never get hold of my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you haven't got porn and, uh, no. <laughs> and smart and, and M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go into that. But laptop from hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide by Miranda Devine. You can get it on Amazon, elsewhere. It's on Kindle. There's a great audiobook version one way or another, I think people have just got to see this book and understand the depths of the depravity. Absolutely. See the book. Don't, but if you're anywhere near the actual laptop, wear a hazmat suit and let's go, Brandon. <laughs> Thanks very much for, for joining us, Miranda. Thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks, Tim. Great to talk to you. Divine. That story about the M&Ms perched on Hunter Biden's erect penis. <laughs> a sentence you never thought you'd say. I know. And, and, and I mean, what do the manufacturers of M&Ms think about this? You know, product placement's a wonderful thing, but is this where they want their products placed? <laughs> <laughs> They've got bigger issues. You were telling us earlier, what are the big important issues about M&Ms? Well, most people would know um, the M&M characters. They're on the, on the commercials and they're M&Ms in humanised form. And uh, they crack wise and uh, tell jokes and, um, and all in the, in the promotion of their, uh, their particular brand of lollies. But now they're, they're being remade to become more inclusive. I'll just read you um, an announcement from M&M's parent company, Mars Incorporated. The characters will have more nuanced personalities to underscore the importance of self-expression and power of community through storytelling. <laughs> that sounds like some sort of statement you'd hear in favour of an Indigenous parliament. <laughs> anyway, it goes on to say, um, this means giving the M&Ms arms and legs that match their shell colours instead of the tan flesh tone the previous versions had. The two female characters will wear less stereotypically feminine attire and the brown M&M's heels have been lowered to sensible pumps. <laughs> the green M&M now sports a pair of cool, laid-back sneakers to reflect her effortless confidence. Okay. 
<laughs> well, that's another thing not to buy. <laughs> <laughs> so this announcement in Western Australia, was it accompanied by an Aboriginal woman explaining it in, in pidgin English? Because otherwise it'd be, it'd be terribly racist if it wasn't. No one will understand it. Um, yes. We need that to be translated into English. Yes. So that other, the other English speakers can hear it in English. <laughs> From its original English. <laughs> yeah, M&Ms are another institution that the woke left has marched through. Swimming Australia is yet another. You, you guys probably saw the story today. Swimming Australia very, very worried about the way they treat women. So they say that they're going to ban the term physique and other bodily terms about women. Why? Uh, because it's... Uh, it, it's going to challenge the misinformed view that lean body mass predicts performance. <laughs> yes. I don't know that that's misinformed. I would have thought that's fairly obvious. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, it, here, here's the one. It's going to amend the language in coach education materials to be more inclusive and respectful towards women. For example, removing descriptions such as large thighs when describing female bodies. Also, the, the skinfold test apparently is is now banned. Anything at all that refers to a woman's body. Mm. They've got a problem here, though, haven't they? I mean, we have a whole Olympic event known as the breaststroke. Well, that's gone. Yeah. That's got to be out there. No, it's got to be out there, hasn't it? That'll be replaced by the dog paddle. <laughs> now that breastfeeding is chest feeding, I assume it'll be the chest stroke. <laughs> You do get into all sorts of problems. I mean, these are essentially... It's sport, right? Sport is all about bodies, (laughs) and they're not allowed to talk about them. Are they saying that slender, muscular individuals aren't necessarily the best at competitive swimming? Because that doesn't tally with my observations of the sport. No. You don't don't see too many 90, 110-kilo tubs jumping in there and racing away from the pack. Uh, you do for the long distance swimming, of course. Susie Maroney, she was um, a fairly sizable girl. Yeah, she wasn't enormous. No, but you need a bit more, a bit more fat on you, don't you, to keep you warm. If nothing else, for those long distance swims. Well, if you're channel crossing or something like that. She's the only person I know who's actually swum to Cuba. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> most people swim away from here. But... You bump into a lot, lot less. Uh, you know. Uh, Old 1950s Chevrolets that have been converted into boats. They, they, they tend to they tend to be headed towards Florida. They're saying that the, the athletes' welfare must be the primary driver for selection. I don't think so. I mean, this is swimming. This is competitive. Their ability to come back with pockets full of gold medals should surely be mm. the primary driver for selection, no. not their well-being. I mean, we're getting are we getting to the point where you go well? It, they're excluding me. They're, I have. They won't select me for the the Australian swimming team. I'm being excluded. Hmm. The fact I'm 20 seconds a lap slower, but you know what's that got to do with anything? At what point does a does an organisation like Swimming Australia discard the word physique? That's like that's that would be like Mensa saying we are being too exclusive towards morons. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've always wanted to be a member, so, you know, he's, that's, that's my window. Here's your chance, yes. Oh, so you're in Mensa, are you? Oh, I bet the high IQ guys. Oh, no, well, no. I got in in the low IQ category. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting crazy. You're a man with, with a great physique, Fred, I, I must say, as a surfer <laughs> and a paddler. Um, 
Thanks for noticing that. <laughs> but there's something on your mind, right? You're going to tell us something. You've got something on your mind today. What is it? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, well, I think that an interesting contrast has emerged this week, given the situation that Miranda has talked about, and the contrast is between the United States and the country that it separated itself from Britain. When, when the United States fought for its independence from Britain in the 18th century, it did so to rid itself of a hereditary monarchy so that all, you know, everyone would be equal before the law and the government would be of the people, by the people, for the people. I mean, you got, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but it's interesting to notice that Hunter Biden is swanning around like some sort of European aristocrat. Yeah, he, he's got immunity from all manner of prosecutions. Exactly. And he gets away with it so easily. And But while that's going on, this is in the Republic, the Democratic Republic of the United States. Yeah. While that's going on, Prince Andrew, who is his British equivalent, has been cut free from the royal family because he's uh, he finds himself in a very awkward situation being accused of having sex with an underage girl. And the Queen has said... You're on your own, grandson. Or son, rather. And in fact, she's used the term, you are now a private citizen. I mean, that that's exactly what the United States sort of stands for. Everyone's a private citizen and everyone is equal before the law. There's another irony also, uh, you know, they kind of pile on these ironies because the US mm. Constitution includes the First Amendment, which is supposed to ensure the freest media in the world. Mm -hmm. But the American media has pretty much ignored Hunter while the British media has gleefully gone after Andrew. Mm. So this, this, all this puts, puts our own sort of constitutional uh, debate in an interesting situation. Mm. Should we lean towards the United States or stick with our, our current British model? Yeah. You're, not, you're being persuaded by the ever-persuasive Peter Fitzsimons, aren't you? <laughs> Oh dear! You've uh, you've fallen under the charismatic spell of of the bandana. The charismatic. <laughs> you have ambitions to be that first pure Australian head of state, don't you, Fred? Uh, well, now that he's ruled Warnie out, I think I've got a chance. I, I reckon so. Look, look, we had a bit of fan mail for you in the week from uh, Kate and Arthur. Great shout out to them. Hi, Nick. We're great admirers of your work. And we loved the podcast. I thought that was fantastic up to that point. Yeah. <laughs> We've given it a five-star rating and tell everybody about it. Good on you. And then, where did this come from? Fred has been absolutely brilliant on the show and we hope he might stay on as a co-host. He's such a good fit. <laughs> come on. Is, is this your email account this is coming on, Fred? I won't hear a bad word about Kate and... Uh, Kate, Kate and Arthur. Kate and Arthur. I won't hear a bad word about them. Obviously, people of impeccable taste. <laughs> In fact, I might sack you two. And... <laughs> it's gone to his head. <laughs> it has. He's, he's becoming Hunter as we speak. <laughs> I'm going to be the president of the six o'clock swill. Oh, man. Well, at least, at least you'll make more coherent speeches than a certain other president. So we can, there's, there's that. But getting back to the point, what do, you reckon, what do you guys reckon the contrast between Hunter and Andrew is is really quite it is. alarming, it is. isn't it? It it's, is. It's incredible. And, uh, but then, uh, I mean, uh, I think the Brits have been looking for a reason to dislike yep. Andrew even more. He's never been a popular royal at all. Yeah. Look, it's difficult for the guy, right? I mean, he's far, far enough down the pecking order. I don't know what he is, number 137th in line for the throne or something. I mean, what do you do with your life? 
What do you do? He slipped from so just to be to be specific. He slipped from second to ninth. Has he? Was he second? Yes. How, how do you how yeah. do you fall down that order? Obviously, because we've had more kids, right? William starts breeding. That'll push him down. I, I, I was thinking it's not like you know an NRL table. <laughs> he lost an arm wrestle with his brother and. Or his sister, I should say. <laughs> if you're in fourth position, you wouldn't give up, right? Yeah, you'd be hanging around, yeah, just to... Like the Malcolm Bradbury yeah. effect, you know? The, <laughs> three, the three ice skaters in front of you might fall over, but... <laughs> just in case a really decent bout yeah. of coronavirus goes through Windsor... Yeah, yeah. And you're suddenly you're suddenly on the on the podium, you know. You're suddenly in, in with a shot. Yeah. So look, I feel sorry for the guy. Mm. I'm just reading Andrew Roberts' brilliant biography of George the Third, and when he meets his wife, she's sixteen and a half. And he married her. He was married, happily married for sixty. Well, most of the sixty years in which he was king, and he sired fifteen <laughs> children with her. So look, I don't know. Maybe they're being a bit hard on Andrew. Sixteen was an acceptable age for George the Third. Yes. I don't know how which way this is going to go, though. Is, uh, yeah. There's so much evidence about that entire case that's not been made public or that subsequent to certain convictions has been concealed and locked up. You don't actually have a lot of real data to go on at this point, so hopefully that will become more clear. Although, in the case of Hunter Biden, we've got a great deal of data and no one did a damn thing. They're still not moving on him. No. That's right, yeah. No, hang on now. I've just, I've just got the way to get Hunter. Now that we've more completely humanised M&Ms, his treatment of them can be characterised as sexual harassment. Absolutely. And he can be put in prison. He's, he is the Jeffrey Epstein yes. of small candy. Yes, he's been... <laughs> he's taken them to his perverse little lolly island. Do you think he had somebody, his own Ghislaine Maxwell who had to go out and procure them for him? <laughs> yeah, she, no, no, it's called procuring. She procured some M&Ms. Them. And, um, and uh, he stripped them of their shells. It was so perverse <laughs> and disgusting. But he was, he was careful to pick M&Ms from broken families. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, my word. We're all going to hell. Yeah, this, this podcast is getting a bit off the rails. Maybe it's time we pull it all together and wished everybody well and came back next week. <laughs> Any other business? Yes, you've got to take Kate and Arthur's example. Give us five stars, subscribe to us, send this to all your friends. This is a podcast which is growing in audience. It should be growing much, much faster. So please help us along. Email us at nick at radio com. And thank you all for listening. Uh, thanks, Fred been great having you oh that was fun and tim cheers we'll see you next week <laughs>